How can someone learn to code a web page without a computer? Next on the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. I'm Pius Wong in Austin, Texas. My guest is Sam Taylor, author of The Coding Workbook, out now from No Starch Press, and it's intended for teaching web development without any electronic device, just paper and something to write with. Sam spoke to me about it from San Francisco. All right. Welcome, Sam Taylor, to the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast in 2021. Actually, I should start off just asking, how are you doing? I know it's a crazy time for everybody. I know. It, it really is. Hi. Um, first of all, thank you for having me. And second, yeah, it it is a crazy time right now. There's so much going on, but uh, you know, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to chat with you. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. I always feel like in times of um, mass upheaval and things like that, every little thing that we all do matters. And I think as educators, it still applies. So I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Sam Taylor, you've got a new book out, a new workbook, an educational workbook out that I want to talk about. It is called The Coding Workbook, Building a Website with HTML and CSS. And there's a little thing on the cover that says, no computer required. Given this book that you've written, um, how would you introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Sam and my background is actually in education more specifically um, middle school science. So I was a middle school science teacher at a Title I school in Las Vegas for three years. Hmm. That was kind of right when I graduated college. Um, So in 2014, I moved to Las Vegas, became a middle school science teacher. And it was cool because when I, you know, around 2014, 2015, that was a time when for science, the next generation science standards were kind of slowly getting rolled out, which is like the new set of curriculum for science teachers. And when I was a middle school teacher, you know, when new standards come out, it's hard to really have all the materials you need to teach these new standards. And so it was really on me to create the new materials for both the teachers at my school and in my department and for my kiddos. So I was able to really craft my own lesson plans because they weren't really fleshed out. You know, while that was all happening and I was teaching, I got my master's in education with a focus in curriculum design and development and instruction. So it, it really all went nicely hand in hand to get all of the science curriculum done. Hmm. What ages were you teaching? I'm trying to get the picture of the kind of students you had and the curriculum you were developing. Yeah. So my my kiddos were sixth grade. So fresh out of elementary school, they're 11 and 12 years old, you know, right when they get into middle school. So it's it's not just teaching them science. It's also teaching them how to navigate and become kind of, you know, their own independent little humans. Yeah. First time they navigate going class to class, having a bunch of teachers, having to stay organized, you know, independently. It was kind of teaching science, but also teaching general life skills, which is always fun. I love middle school. Uh, you're one of the the rarer people who love that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I hear that a lot. And, I, you know, it's just it, they're so entertaining. There's so much growth that happens from, you know, the beginning of sixth grade, coming right out of elementary school to, you know, becoming a seventh grader. So that growth from the beginning of sixth grade to the end of sixth grade is really just, um, it's really fun to see. 
You also mentioned the next-gen science standards, and I know teachers are familiar with that, but could you give an example of, say, some of those more challenging standards that you had to teach to at the time related to science or STEM? Yeah, so I think the big ones that I was teaching were related to um, life science. And so a lot of it was, you know, teaching the human body and teaching cells and all of that. But the standards themselves were given. But at the time when the curriculum or the standards first came out, there wasn't too much curriculum to go hand in hand with the standards. And so really coming up with fun and engaging ways to teach science for kiddos. Our school didn't really have um, too much technology or, you know, the super up-to-date textbooks. And so it was really up to the teachers in the department to kind of come up with cool and exciting ways for students to learn for the new standards. Did you teach CS or web development or anything like that at the time? So not at the time. When I was teaching, you know, I got my master's and then my fourth year teaching, I decided to continue my own education and I decided to enroll in CS classes for myself just for fun. And, you know, it's actually something that I've always been interested in is teaching um, CS, but, you know, that could definitely be something I see myself doing in the future. So why were you interested in CS for yourself? Yeah. So basically, you know, when, when you're teaching and you're doing, I was doing my master's at the same time. It was, I was always busy with something. And as soon as my, I've got my master's degree, I found myself, you know, really craving learning something new. Mm. And I had always heard of, you know, coding and, you know, web development. And so I just kind of took it upon myself. I enrolled in Harvard CS 50 intro to computer science class. It's one of those free online classes. Um, and coming from a background of not knowing anything related to computer science, I took my first intro to computer science class and it was extremely tough. I would spend my free time on weekends sitting in Barnes and Noble in their Starbucks section, you know, teaching myself Python, but yeah, it was mostly just, for fun, teaching myself something new. After my the CS50 class, I enrolled in a intro to front-end development class, and that's when I really fell in love with uh, web development and just CS. I understand that when you did your master's, you didn't stay in Las Vegas, right? You're in Silicon Valley now, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay, and that's definitely a big tech hub as well. Right. Is there any um, commonality between teaching in a middle school and this tech world that you're in? Oh my gosh, there's so many. It's, it's really the same, you know, any skill that a teacher may have teaching in a classroom is transferable to working in the tech world, whether it's, you know, reading something mean someone and, you know, a coworker emailed someone else and saying, Hey, this isn't (laughs) the appropriate way to deal with this situation. You know, it's, or, you know, public speaking, you know, teachers, when they're standing in front of a classroom or delivering a presentation, that might not be the most interesting topic to 50 kids. And maybe some of those kids say, hey, miss, that topic is not exciting. You know, those skills, the presentation skills are very just as transferable to working in tech. And so it actually prepared me very well to, uh, to work in tech. Everything I had done had basically prepared me to make the switch. 
Yeah. So help me, I guess, continue that story there. You started teaching yourself CS and how did you end up creating this workbook, this educational workbook for, I guess, young students to learn um, web development? Yeah. Um, so I was in my fourth year working, you know, in the classroom and I was teaching myself to code. And then when I moved to the Bay Area, I actually did make the switch out of the classroom and into the tech world. And so once I made my switch into the tech world, you know, I, I was working, but I really found that, you know, I missed learning and teaching and, you know, kind of helping others. So I started a blog called Tech Talk Code, where I, you know, I wrote curriculum and tutorials for new learners and beginning web developers wanting to learn HTML and CSS. So I was blogging, you know, once a week, how to build a nav bar, how to build a button, how to center an image, just different tutorials, really short, really simple for anyone who might, you know, be stuck or need some clarification on something. So I would do, you know, I would include screen recordings or GIFs or images to really help break down these topics. Fast forward to my first layoff in the tech world. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens. Um, I found myself I was looking for jobs, both in tech and as a CS teacher. And Mm. so I was doing a bunch of interviews. And there was one interview in particular for a CS role that kind of stood out. You know, I I asked the principal, I was like, hey, what materials do you have for a teacher who wants to teach CS? You know, because not all teachers come from a CS background who want to teach CS. And they told me that, Generally, it was up to the teacher to figure it out. And that kind of sparked a little bit of curiosity in my head. And that's really where the idea for the coding workbook formed. You know, I had the curriculum development background. I had this blog full of HTML and CSS coding tutorials. And I wanted to come up with something that, you know, anyone could use to learn and teach web development. As an ode to the school I used to teach at, because it was a Title I school, I wanted to make sure that any CS class, regardless of access to computers or internet or technology, Mm -hmm. could use it. Yeah, so let's talk about that book then, because like you said, the goal seems to be accessibility. You want to teach coding without even necessarily having to have that computer next to you. So yeah, the big picture of this book is, just as you said, the goal is to really have it be a resource for any student, any teacher, any classroom without access to a computer or internet or any sort of technology, they should be able to take this workbook and just they just need a pencil and they can learn the basics of web development. So that's the goal of this book. And that's a bold claim too. How can you teach coding without a computer? That is a great question. So I I guess I can kind of break down a little bit of what the coding workbook is and kind of how teachers can use it. So the coding workbook really contains everything a teacher would need to teach an intro to HTML and CSS class. So I guess in, in teacher learner outcome terms, it's the students will be able to write out code for a simple website and draw what that website will look like in their workbook. The coding workbook is broken down into three parts. Part one, 
we really start at the beginning. What is HTML? What are the elements and semantics we need to know, such as heading or text or images? And how do we put all of those elements together to build a simple website in HTML? And what the students are doing is they're, they're actually handwriting the code in this workbook. It's maybe eight to 10 lines of code that a student needs to be writing to get started. Some of the practice problems go up to maybe 20 or 30 lines of code. But in reality, if you look at you know your textbooks, you, what you're writing for an English class or a math class, I remember writing way more lines for a calculus class in a workbook. Yeah. So it, it, it made sense. And it does make sense because it seems like it can't be done, but students can... They can write, you know, 10, 15, 20 lines of code in a workbook, and it's it's possible. So that's part one mm-hmm. of the coding workbook. And so they have this HTML skeleton of what a, a website would look like, and then they get into part two, where they really start to style out the website, and they get to learn how to modify the background of a section of their website or, you know, change font sizes or move items around a website to place them in different locations, you know, margins and paddings and borders so they can kind of get a sense of how a website would look on a screen. And this was tricky, trying to figure out how to, you know, make CSS work and how to make it possible for a learner to get this HTML code onto a piece of paper. It was one of those things where, you know, you you have this problem and you're trying to figure it out for a long time. And then all of a sudden you give your brain a break to start to stop thinking about it. And you go for a run or you go for a long walk and kind of forget about it for a few days. And all of a sudden the answer pops into your head. Um, and so what I realized is that if you look at a if you look at a standard, you know, desktop screen, it has. 1080 pixels by, you know, there's kind of a set dimension of a desktop. And I kind of wanted to emulate that, but in a graph form. And so we created, well, I created this graph where it's 1080 by 720. And each grid box is 80 pixels. And so if a learner needs to start something or move something over 80 pixels to the left or to the right, they can move based on the grid lines. They're literally drawing in. It's like drawing a graph on graph paper in science class. They're literally just drawing graphs on a grid and they're able to move things along, you know, the X and Y axis basically to really move this, move their pieces of their website around the page. It's an interesting connection to, say, math or even art, I guess, um, dealing with coordinate systems and all of that stuff. Yeah, it it is definitely kind of a blend of all of the different parts of learning. There's some math involved, but it's cool because it's very subtle math. Right. <laughs> and Which is coding. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like right? Yeah. yeah. And as is art, right? Right. There's user experience, user interface design, all of that is just an extension of art. So what's cool is that students who have really a diverse set of interests, whether it is drawing or art or math, they also have a place in this workbook where their talents really get to shine. 
I understand that in your part one, you cover HTML and that skeleton, like you said, of what makes a web page. And part two, you've got really the the graphical design of a web page that you're teaching. Uh, what about part three, this application section? What's that for? Yeah. So part three is the application section, like you said, and that's where there's a bunch of practice sets where students are given either a list of requirements for a website. So for example, this website should have a heading that says plants and a bulleted list that says trees and flowers and grass. And it should also have an image of plants or an image of a flower. And so that's where students then take the requirements and they have to write out the code for that website. And then maybe there's a section where it pulls it a step further and then asks them to style it in a specific way. That's really the them taking what they've learned and applying it to building out a website. and Like a design problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Got the it. nice part is there's also at the very end, there's three pages of the blank text editor and the blank grid where they can actually build their own websites and they have a space to build something from scratch. They can write the code. They know all the pieces of the puzzle and now they get to kind of create their own picture and create their own website. So it's really an entire complete set of curriculum for a student to be able to then be able to build a website on their own at the end. So that is really interesting. You you cover the fundamentals, I think, of web development. And I noticed you have like these quick checks as well. What's that for exactly? Yeah. So, these little questions that you have, I guess, in between. Yeah, that's part of, you know, my curriculum development background, I guess. It's the teacher in me. When you are working through content in a textbook, generally, you'll have a few practice questions throughout just to make sure that you're really understanding and grasping the central topics of that section. And so this is for use by either, you know, students themselves to quickly check in and they can check the answers at the back of the book or for teachers if they wanted to have the students use those questions as maybe like a mini quiz or something. So Mm. it's really to make sure along the way that you're checking in with yourself, making sure that you're not just flying through the book and, it helps really to reinforce any information. Got it. Got it. And so I should mention what it looks like. I mean, what I'm seeing here in the copy that I've got in front of me, um, you got more than a hundred pages here in this paperback. I'm flipping through right now. The cover has a cartoon dog (laughs) making a website about ice cream, which I love just personally. Uh, It tells me that maybe your audience is a specific type of student. What would you say your audience is younger so the coding workbook is generally, it, we try to say, you know, you have to have roughly a fourth, fifth grade literacy level for the text within, but it's really for young learners, primarily middle schoolers, but we wanted to make sure that it wasn't completely just focused on middle schoolers or, you know, younger students. The goal of it is for, for young learners, but, you know, it really is for anyone in case and there's an adult or an older learner who might want to try out building a website. It can also be for them. But yes, the the fun part of creating the cover is that there's so many options and we really had to kind of figure out exactly what we wanted it to look like. <laughs> we went through multiple iterations until 
one day um, the publisher called me and they're like, you know, I think we've been trying to force this one thing for too long. We need to try something new. Can you get me something new by tomorrow? And so I took out my colored pencils and I sketched out this dog drawing. Oh, you made this. Yeah. So, well, oh, wow. I sketched it. Got I it. sketched out the rough, the rough draft of it. And then we sent it to an illustrator to really make it a nice digital version. But the challenge was really trying to get the message across that you are writing this out. You are writing the code with your hand, with a pencil into this workbook, and you are literally drawing out the code. It's a hard message to send by explaining it or by just writing no computer required on the cover, you know, right. to really explain the essence of the book. And so the goal of this image was to really drive home. You know, the dog on the front is literally writing out code and is drawing this website. It was to really drive home the message of the coding workbook. You've, of course, got these uh, various coding symbols on the front as well, like the the curly braces and the quotes and everything. One other question I have then is, are there prerequisites, other prerequisites in how much your students should know? Besides that literacy level, should they already know, for example, what these symbols are or how to type? Or I know that no computers required, but yeah. what would be the ideal amount of knowledge going in? Yeah, so the, the only other requirement really is, the, besides the literacy level, is basic multiplication skills because there are times when we want to move something over maybe 320 pixels rather than just 80 pixels. And so they need to know how many grid squares they need to move over. All of the, all of the dimensions that we use are divisible by 80 pixels so that you know learners can make sure that their graphs and their images are drawn According to the grid, there's no need for a computer. So if they don't have any typing skills, that's a-okay. They just need to be able to read it and draw it and yeah, just need a pencil. So something that I was wondering as I went through it is it does look really helpful if I were teaching a CS class. I almost feel like it's very challenging without any teacher. Do you expect that someone could just pick this up without any guidance and just like learn how to code or is this meant for being a supplement to a classroom with a guide or someone explaining things? Well, the thing is the goal ultimately is to make sure that any student can use this to learn to code. Ideally, you know, we want to make sure that there's teachers in the classroom that can help, but on the off chance, maybe a student doesn't have access to a teacher. The way it's written is that anyone who does have the literacy level can they they take the time and you know maybe they have to do it once or twice but they should be able to on their own navigate through the coding workbook based on just the different guidelines and the styling and how it's written and you know the quick checks so we do want to make sure that if there is an access to a teacher they still should be able to navigate it maybe not as easily as someone who has access to a teacher or even a cs teacher but Eventually. Sure. I could see this, like I was saying, supplementing existing curriculum, kind of how you have math workbooks like you were just talking about. It's not like you would just give them a whole bunch of math problems and not explain anything. But I'm curious if anyone has used your workbook already in different ways and what feedback you've gotten from it. Well, yeah. So actually, it's only been released for the past 
three weeks. And so we're working to get it in classrooms right now. But we have had a few parents who have been working on it with their at-home learners. Mm. And some of the feedback has been that, you know, their students are able to kind of navigate through the workbook on their own. But if they do have additional questions for maybe some clarity, they've worked with their parent to kind of search up something if they're more interested in diving into one topic. So we'll have to see, you know, eventually what that feedback looks like. So I'm super excited to get that. Do you have feedback from not just the the parent side or teacher side, but I'm wondering what uh, the tech side of people uh, think about this. I know that you're working in tech and education, but have you shown this to other coders, other engineers and um, gotten their feedback? Yeah. So part of the process for writing the book is we do put our workbooks and, you know, with no starch press, they do have technical reviewers. And so we make sure that all of the content that we're writing does go through a technical reviewer so that we can get professional eyes on it. Right. And so I've put it through different technical reviews, but I've also passed it off to different friends in the community. And so we've really gotten a really positive response from people in the tech world who are now slowly starting to realize that maybe not everyone does have the same access that they do. You know, you started a tech company and they're like, hey, pick your laptop, pick out of these 10 really nice laptops, which laptop do you want? But um, that's not the case for everyone even in the United States. And so it's been really great to hear the positive feedback and response because, you know, the basic skills are are the basics no matter how you learn them. Yeah. My next question goes beyond the book a little, but based off of or jumping off of what you just said, how would you imagine you could close those gaps in, in accessibility to learning? Um, I know that this book is one, like, it's not going to, you know, solve all of the accessibility problems, but it's one good tool to use. And I'm sure that you and your team have been thinking about this. Like, what are other ways to broaden this accessibility? I'm sure once someone goes through this workbook, they can't just stop here, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, what what would be those next steps? Yeah, so I think the, the goal right now is to make sure that we are getting as much information out about, you know, what we actually call the digital divide. And that's really the divide that, lack of access to internet causes between those who do and do not have access to technology. And right now, our primary focus is really getting the word out about it and making sure that people are aware of what that looks like. And so coming up with creative solutions, whether it is getting this workbook out to as many groups of people as possible, or really spreading the word that, you know, not every student even in the United States right now has access to internet is something that we're, we're really focusing on. If a student has access to the coding workbook and then eventually in a few years has access to maybe a computer, they aren't so far behind their peers or they aren't so far behind where they'd have to start from scratch. They could kind of hit the ground running with what they already know. Hmm. What you're saying sounds like it, what I've heard from libraries, actually speaking to some library reps, trying to increase that accessibility. I'm curious if you've worked with them at all to to get your books in there or establish some programs with them. Um, no, that's actually a great idea, though. We've primarily been focusing on different nonprofits so local to the Bay Area to start. It's kind of tough with, you know, the pandemic right now to yeah. kind of go in and especially with libraries and bookstores, they're all kind of closed or not really open to having sort of any 
too much change right now, but definitely once things are safe, um, going into libraries, going into schools, going into after school programs are definitely things that we want to, or places we want to talk with so that we can try to get it into as many different places as possible. Yeah. And you're making me think again, of course, the context of today is we've got a pandemic, political change, all that stuff. I, I don't know if you if you've thought about, um, does this workbook or things like it, does this uh, have any role in distance learning or um, education when school is so different from how it used to be? Would this work in distance learning? Yeah. I mean, if every student in a classroom had access to it, there's a PDF versions. So if students had, you know, if they do have access to a computer, they can get a digital version of the book, but if they don't have access, you know, getting the book into the hands of students, they can, you know, work through it. But also even homeschooled students can work through it. The content is written to where any, most adults should be able to work through the content and help a younger learner if they need to. As far as distance learning, it's definitely possible to, you know, make it work, which is pretty exciting. Is it part of like a bigger curriculum that y'all have set up, like a a digital curriculum or anything like that? Right now, we're working on just making sure that the digital ebook version of it work, you know, gets up and running. And so that's available now. But we, in the future, the goal is to eventually have more content. So, you know, potentially a part two of this, but also working through to create additional resources related to the coding workbook is definitely, um, we're working on that. I'm sure that you've probably looked at other CS or web development educational resources out there. And I'm wondering, is there anything like what you've done here that's, out there already? Yeah. So that's a, that's a good question. Most of the workbooks, well, the coding workbook is primarily different in that it is the only workbook where you do not need a computer. It is 100%. There is no part of the workbook where it it says, okay, now you need right. to create this text editor on your computer and type in these words. So I've worked through my fair share of, you know, JavaScript for kids. I have that book and it's an excellent book, but you do need a computer. And so I think our primary focus, well, my primary focus was to make sure that 100% of this workbook was to be done just using a pencil. And that's the only requirement. And so there are no other workbooks out there like this where it is exclusively offline. You talked about maybe wanting to do a part two and maybe you had other plans. What would be in a part two or what would come naturally after a project like this? Sure. Yeah. So part two naturally... Right now, we have the fundamentals for a simple website, a heading, you know, some text, an image, moving things around on the page, but really just taking it a step further and making it a little, a little bit more complex. What does a website look like with multiple images and a few paragraphs and a different grid arrangement on a screen? And how do we get that to work? So really just taking it a step further, making it a little bit more complex for a learner who wants and who's mastered the first, the first part, you know, the first workbook and taking it to wherever they want it to go. I guess one advantage of the ebook or, or digital curriculum is you can update it. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking how like 
oh yeah, HTML5 might code HTML6 or something. Mm -hmm. Is the content in the coding workbook evergreen? Will it need to be updated? That's kind of what we, we were working for is making sure that it was evergreen. So we, we worked to really move towards more semantic elements rather than just your standard div for most things. And so we've tried to make it evergreen. Obviously, there's going to be changes in the future, but the team is really great. And reprints of the book happen, you know, every X amount of copies sold. So we want to try to keep up with the times. And if there are changes that need to be made, we'll make them just to make sure that, you know, we're, we're delivering the best content out there. Hmm. How can someone find your book? They can find it on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, the No Starch Press website, really anywhere books are sold, which is very exciting. Cool. And like, would schools or teachers have any special deals if they wanted to get one? Yeah. I don't know how that works. Uh, I think if they email No Starch Press, they can ask about that. I don't quite have that information yet for you, but I can definitely find out and let you know. Sure. I feel like the, your coding workbook where no computer is required is kind of on this trend that I've seen. I know that like my nephew has a toy, like these coding blocks or tiles or whatever, where you can put them together and physically block code mm -hmm. like scratch, except with, with toys, um, where maybe you're doing algorithmic thinking, but not on a computer. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you've noticed any other trends in education or STEM that seem interesting to you? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely looking for alternate ways to get that kind of coding and computer science logic has always been something people are looking towards rather than just your traditional take this course online and learn how to write code. Other than that that I'm seeing that I'm super excited about is that, you know, I follow Girls Who Code and all these different groups, and I love seeing the work that's happening to bring more young girls and women into the CS field. Mm -hmm. And so a new trend that I've been seeing is a bunch of after-school programs starting to become more commonplace, especially um, for young girls, which is super exciting. And I know that Girls Who Code actually has uh, resources for anyone who's interested in starting their own chapter at a school. So it could be middle school or high school. And that's kind of one of those trends that I've been very excited about because, you know, maybe a few years ago, you didn't see that as often, but nowadays it's becoming definitely more commonplace. Mm. Yeah. There's a big, I mean, there's been big news, I feel like for years and years, but lately, I don't know if you follow the news about Google and Facebook and all that stuff, but I feel like there've been mass revelations about maltreatment, I guess, of mm -hmm. women in tech and not, not just women, but other minorities in tech. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you're aware of all that. And um, as an educator, if you feel like you have to have an opinion about any of that stuff. I mean, yeah, as a, as a person who works in tech, I definitely have to keep up with all of that, but it's not something that I just read about. It's also something that, you know, I can see in my day to day. Mm. It may not be super explicit, at times, but it's something that we definitely and I definitely try to keep an eye out for. Definitely when it comes to women and other minorities, uh, it's something that I find very important to always call out or make sure that I'm checking in if I see something happening. There's companies that 
try to have these conversations at a large scale at the company, but they're not quite hitting the mark generally. And I do think that, you know, one diversity and inclusion meeting is not going to solve everything. But I do think that, you know, listening to the right people in a company is critical. And as an educator, I think that it's important that we equip our young girls with you know, what they need to be successful in the future and get them into STEM and get them confidence in the tech skills that they need to be successful. And really just, we need to change the narrative. And not to totally change this conversation, but it just one final thing I'm thinking of is, I mean, you taught science in middle school. Did you feel like these biases that we see in tech today do you find that some of these attitudes were in the schools that you were teaching at? Um, not quite in the schools that I was teaching at. Well, that's kind of a complex question. I, I think that would be a full other podcast. Sure. Topic. Yeah, I know. But I do think that it is important as an educator to make sure that you have these conversations with your students and to make sure that you equip them with the knowledge that they need to go forward in the future. And as they grow up, uh, for my class in particular, we would always make sure to celebrate any history month, Black History Month, Women's History Month, and make sure that we, I found some way to build that into the science curriculum. And I think having that sort of exposure to either Black scientists or women scientists or people of color in the STEM field is something that's super important and making sure even as an 11 year old, we need to make sure that they're seeing really any example of success um, that they can. Hmm. Well, um, so Sam, you have written the coding workbook, building website with HTML and CSS where students or people who read it don't have to have a computer. Um, Is there anything else people should know about the coding workbook or anything you're doing? The coding workbook really is available anywhere that books are sold and I'm definitely available via social media. People can reach out. I love to hear feedback. I love to hear any questions and that's basically it. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. That was Sam Taylor, author of the coding workbook. Check the show notes or podcast website for links to Sam's book and many other topics that came up today. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is sponsored by my creative studio, Pios Labs in Austin, Texas, where I work on projects in engineering and education like this podcast, or like Coordinates, the web app to hear what equations sound like on the piano and guitar, or like the Calculator Gator, which helps you visualize what math operations look like. Learn more about all this stuff if you follow Pios Labs on social media. That's P-I-O-S-L-A-B-S. This podcast is possible thanks to fantastic people donating to the show on Patreon each month. Help me continue this podcast. Donate to the show at patreon.com slash Labs. And when you do, you'll get some perks. Visit the podcast website for show notes, links, transcripts, and more. Go online to k12engineering.net. That's K, the number 12, engineering.net. Thanks again, listener. 
keep sending me tips for cool things you're doing or things that you know about, and I hope I get the chance to talk about it here. <laughs>